Hello, and welcome to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. If you're a podcast returner, thank you so much for joining us again. I'm Alicia Smith, filling in for Melanie Rushing because her voice sounds terrible right now. Today's episode is about creating a break packet of drills that work on the mental game, and we're joined again by a returning guest, Emily Stanley. Join us today as we discuss Emily's eight topics for her packet, some of her favorite drills, and other helpful bonus topics that came up in our conversation. Don't forget today's freebie, a document that will help you discover what your girls need and send you on the path to creating your own workout packet. This episode is brought to you by our free workbook, The Softball Coach's Guide to Crafting Your Dream Season. We say that softball is 90% mental, but it's not that easy to implement the mental game 90% of the time. Or can it be? Let us guide you through crafting your dream season by showing you how to implement the mental game every day without it feeling like one more thing you have to do. To get your copy of the workbook, simply head to mentalsweetspot.com and click Yes, I Am. Now let's get to the show. Alrighty. Well, just want to talk about your awesome workouts and I can't wait to hear <laughs> what you sent your girls home with this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I printed out our little packet, so I've got it here in front of me. Nice. Excellent. All right. Well, we're just going to dive into it. We'll start with, like, why'd you start doing it in the first place? And I think I know what your answer is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess the, really the reason why I started doing it is because, I mean, they get drills for everything else. So basically, why not? Um I think that softball players really respond to drills and they just like getting a drill for pitching, a drill for hitting, a drill for fielding. And so I was just trying to think of any way to make the mental game more tangible. Absolutely. Like, how can I give them something that they understand the terminology, right? A drill um, and kind of put together a little packet for them. And uh, so I I think it's worked out pretty well. We're in year two or three of doing it. So it's been kind of cool to see how it's evolved. Oh, I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about what your workout packets look like? You don't have to go into complete detail, but yeah. give a little no, overview. Yeah, for sure. So I guess when I first started doing it, I kind of like quizzed people and I called my friends who are coaching and I had the girls in the office and just kind of like picked their brains and figured out what they felt like they needed or they wanted to work on. And um, I kind of narrowed it down to eight different main topics and so it kind of looks like a book (laughs) um (laughs) it it has like one page that kind of describes the topic and talks about like why it's important and what they can do and then the page right next to it kind of has different drills that they can do to work on that topic if that makes sense yeah absolutely yeah so the eight topics that I kind of came up with um and I I put them in order that I think matters. Now you could probably jump around a little bit, but, but really if you kind of worked through it in order, I think you'd be more prepared for the last ones. The last ones are kind of um, more in depth topics than the first few. Um, But the first one I have down is um, be humble and thankful. So it talks a lot about um, just that baseline, how to be humble, how to be thankful. Um, Things like writing thankful journals or, just asking for help in general, um, things along those lines, I think are kind of that baseline, that first step. Um, my second mm-hmm. one is talks about becoming a student of the game and like really doing your research and learning about the game and just having kind of that passion for wanting to improve. 
Um, my second one is Psych Down. And I keep saying my, but it's really not mine. I've stolen probably all of these from different people. So I can't take credit for uh, this stuff. I just kind of put it in this order. Hey, um, this order is yours. Yeah, yeah. I can claim the order, but that's about it. <laughs> um, but my third one is Psych Down. I think we talked about that maybe last time a little bit. Um, just kind of becoming calm and learning how to perform under pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fourth one is reframing. So the way you talk to yourself, the way you talk to other people, how you can phrase things in a way that is constructive versus tearing yourself down, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, fifth one is communication. So that's like anywhere from body language to physically talking to any type of communication you can think of. I kind of lumped into one, which probably could be 10 in and of itself. Yeah. Um, the sixth one is focus. So like how to maybe stay in the present. What are you focusing on at that moment? So like this one I'd say is kind of like that next level one where they really have to have those first few in order to be able to get to that point of working on their focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Imagery is what I have a seven. And then eight is managing emotions and clearing your mind, which is basically everything they want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of lumped into that last one there, but that's kind of the order that our book goes in right now. Give me a year or two and I might totally change it. Um, but that's kind of what we, what we're going with right now. Yeah. I love that. I love all those topics. And I love that you started with be humble and thankful. Yeah. I think that sometimes that gets overlooked and especially, you know, sometimes they can be in their own little bubble. We like to call it the berry bubble here. Um, Uh but they, they kind of get in their head and they're thinking about that one swing that was so bad. And really, if you get them thinking outside of that a little bit at how, you know, thankful they should be that they get to play softball and um, just realize that there is bigger things in life sometimes than that one strikeout or that one error. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess from here, I was curious what so far have the girls really found the most helpful? So I circled a couple of the drills that they've kind of come back to and said, oh, I really liked that drill. Um, And so I guess I can kind of work through a few of the drills that I have written down. Um, Yeah, awesome. uh, One of the ones that they really like is a thankful journal. Um, And we've talked about this in like multiple different ways that they could adjust it and change it. Um, But typically I say like in the morning, right when they wake up or right before they go to bed, just write three things from that day that they're thankful about. And it might have to do with softball. It might have nothing to do with softball. Um, just kind of journaling what we're thankful for. And some people have adjusted it to like three positives of the day. Like what were the three positive things that happened today? Um, or even in a way of maybe they're making it softball specific where they're saying right after practice, they're journaling and saying, what are the three positive things I did well at practice today? Or they can kind of change it however they want to, but just journaling something Uh, that keeps their mind on the things that went well Mm -hmm. is I think one of the really big ones that they've come back and said that they like now some kids will say I hate journaling I never want to do it Um, but I'd say that a lot of them kind of like that because then when they're having a day or maybe they really did struggle well now they can look back at a month worth of thankfuls um, or positives from practice from the past which um, I think they like quite a bit. Or, you know, I've even had them journal at practice. We did this, was it two years ago? We haven't done it recently, but um, where they had their own little journal, all the pitchers did. And uh, so every day in the beginning of practice, they would journal a little bit about 
maybe it's only like a sentence or two about what they wanted to focus on. Um, and then after practice, they would journal about what they did well, or maybe they found a drill that worked really well for something, or maybe they had a really bad day and they talked about it or whatever they wanted to write in that journal. Um, and then it was kind of theirs that they could look back through and say, yeah, I'm having that problem again. What did I do that day that helped me? Mm-hmm. Um, so just in general, journaling, I think is, is something that can be really helpful and that a lot of kids respond to. Have you guys used journals before or have you heard that? I know for, for my team, we, we haven't specifically called it journaling, but I definitely have some every day that we have a conversation, we do a lot of writing things down. Um, yeah. We, if we read a read a story or something or talk about some specific mental um, toughness task or excuse me mental toughness um, attribute, then we will definitely spend time writing things down. And I think that's really important because it allows them to get it down on paper. Um, and then they go ahead and share that. You know, it's not required, but they'll share that with each other. And I think that's helpful too because they can um, relate relate. You know, they can say, "Oh, I'm not alone." Uh, mm-hmm. with that particular thought or feeling. So I think writing things down is great. And I know that um, with the program that we've developed, we've definitely tried to really emphasize writing down the wins for the Absolutely. day and things that you've learned. Cool. You know? Yeah, no, I love that. That's, that's awesome. So what mm-hmm. are some of your favorite activities? You know, you mentioned some of the players' favorites, but what yeah. are some of your favorite ones? They like the journaling. I, I like the journaling too. I think that works really well for the student of the game. One, one of the, two of the things I have down, one's called interview and one's called analyze. So for the interview aspect of it, they're supposed to call up a coach, call up a friend, call anybody and literally just interview them. Even if it's questions that they know the answers to, they might hear something in a way that clicks with them or, you know, just interview, learn about the game in any way possible. And then the analyze aspect of it, which I really like, and I call them in the office all the time for this, is we'll pull up recruit videos and I'll say, all right, what do you think? What do you see? You know, um, and just for them to start analyzing the game a little bit more um, can be pretty cool. And I've even heard feedback from them where they look at the video and they're like, oh, I'm nervous. Like, I don't know. I don't know this recruit. Is she good? Like before they even look at the video. (laughs) Um, So I think that that helps them, too, because then they start seeing swings and they start seeing a pitcher and they can start um, adding that visual aspect to it, not just kind of hearing it from us. Um, They might see something that clicks. Oh, look at how she just did her change up or. You know, I I think those two can be pretty cool. I really like that idea. I love the the idea of interviewing people. I know I've heard of um, parents that have asked their kids to interview people from uh, successful people in totally different arenas uh, Mm -hmm. other than sports. And and I thought that was one of the greatest ideas. And I think I will definitely do something like that for my daughter. But just to interview other people to get perspective, um, whether you're doing it on the podcast, right, or just other people in areas of business or something like that, you could just surely take something Uh, from each interaction that you have. Yeah. And that's one of the things we have in our packet for like uh, the winter or the summer where I think I even have in there like interview an upperclassman, interview a lower classman, Mm. interview a coach, interview a travel coach. Um, So they have to kind of like plan out who and when they're going to do it and then take notes on their interviews and kind of see what they learn and what they come back with after them. I really like that idea. Yeah. Do, you have, do, you, do you have anything in your packet that you would consider a must have? Like, did you absolutely have to have that in there? Um, I would say that all the, what works really well is the one mile challenge. So it's a very physical and very physically challenging drill. But and I have it in the last chapter. So really going through 
the book before they do that one is really helpful. But um, literally, I have them go out and run a mile. So they run the mile, and they have to do it in conditions that are, like, awful. So something really boring, um, no music. Maybe it's, like, a really small track that they have to run around, like, 16 times. Um, (laughs) You know, I just try to think of the worst possible, like, most mentally challenging mile mm-hmm. that they can do. And they can run it nice and slow the first time, not a big deal. Um, but then they have to do it over and over again. They have to beat their time every time they run it. Um, so it's learning how to mentally push past that boredom or that uh, fatigue or whatever it is that they have to beat their time every time they do it. Um, so that's something that people, I mean, if you ask them, a lot of them will say, I can't run without music. Well, you can, <laughs> but you don't want to. So it's learning how to deal with your thoughts. Um, so I, that one, they typically come back and say that really, really helped because they're tired. They're physically tired. It's physically challenging, but it's really, really mentally challenging that they have to beat that time. Maybe it's not even a full mile. Maybe it's something shorter um, if you don't want them doing that full mile. But um that one I think is a really good one because they have to mentally learn how to deal with their thoughts. Mm-hmm. I think that's the power of the the conditioning tests. There's so many different variations now. The yeah. mile, the oh, so many different kinds. But I think what your pick, packet gets at and what I find a lot of coaches are missing is there were seven chapters before that to prepare mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I think a lot of times, I, I was a part of this too, throw them into conditioning right when we get them back and then we're like mad and surprised (laughs) that they can't do it (laughs) like no that's the point the point was giving the struggle but you need to give them the tools to get through it yeah i i put down things like um even just learning how to like teach somebody else something this is like in the reframing section so teaching somebody how to do a skill without saying the word don't or without showing them how not to do it Um, so like they have to go out and give a lesson and it has to be the whole time. They have to only tell the kid or the person or whoever what to do. Um, and so then they start learning how difficult it is to only talk about what you want that person to do. Um, and that one's pretty cool too. I think that that can be a, that can be a good one. That's a difficult thing to do because (laughs) even as a coach, like I've, I've told everyone on the team, coaches included the word can't and don't is eliminated from your vocabulary. And there are all those those times when you go out there as a coach, you're like, don't put, wait, wait, no, (laughs) scratch what I just said. And it's, it's a difficult thing to do, but when you're conscious of it, um, you are really alerted to the fact when you actually do say one of those words. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and there are certain times they have to say, do you feel that this is what you're doing? Because they actually don't know what they're doing. But then it's always kind of bringing them back to this is now this is what you want to do. This is what you're doing right now. But try to adjust to this. And, you know, um, but that can be very challenging. And it's really funny to see them work through learning how to only say what they want. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of the biggest things that's really helped when we started doing this little last year, no, two years ago, is I started changing the way I do my timeouts on the field too. And we started practicing how timeouts are going to look and how they are going to react during timeouts. Um, Because a lot of the times when I saw that panic happen, their thoughts were just all over the place and they didn't even know how to physically say, 
what they needed to change or what was going wrong. Um, so we changed it. And one part of it is that I would walk out to the mound and the whole infield would come in and they'd be standing there staring at the pitcher who is already nervous and they would just be listening. And I would basically be only talking to the pitcher, not wanting the whole infield there. <laughs> um, <laughs> the guys go away. <laughs> yeah. So we, we changed it and we made a system where if I walked to the catcher and then the catcher and I walk together to the pitcher, the infield knows that they're supposed to go near second base and talk on their own. Um, and I don't want the whole infield. Now, if I walk straight to the pitcher, the infield knows they can all come and I'm going to direct the conversation. Like I have something I want to say to the whole field. Um, so that in and of itself has made the, pit, the pitcher feel a little bit better because now there's only three of us there. Um, so she's a little bit more calm in those situations than she was when the whole infield is staring at her. Yeah. Plus she gets a little second while you walk to the catcher to, like, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. And we've kind of constructed our format for our conversations. So I walk to the catcher, catcher kind of tells me what she sees, what's going on. We get out to the pitcher and the pitchers had a moment to think about our format. So we, we typically, and she doesn't have to go by this format. It's only if she's at a loss for words, if she can't think of how to phrase the conversation, we start with, all right, what do you see? Like, what are the facts? What's actually happening? The ball is going really high. The ball is going really low. I'm throwing a lot of balls. I'm giving up a lot of hits. What are the actual facts? So it's not emotional. Um, and she knows that as soon as we get to the circle, she's the one that starts talking. I'm not going to talk. So she's got to say, what do I see happening? So it takes that emotion out of it at that moment, which is helpful. Um, and then she goes on to our, what do I feel? And that's like physically feel, I feel like my backside is slow. I feel like my grip is off. I feel what, do I, I don't know what she physically feels. I can see what's happening, but I don't know what she's feeling. Um, and then she goes to, all right, what can I adjust to make the situation better? Uh, so she knows that those are the three things that order of that conversation, um, which I think has taken so much of the pressure off of her and off of me um, for those conversations and we practice it. So mm -hmm. in bullpens, like I'll walk to the catcher and then we'll walk out to the pitcher and the pitcher starts talking. Um, so that's been really helpful in just making her aware of what's going on in that, um, what's going to happen in that meeting. Um, and she is more prepared for those conversations. And I feel like that makes them a little bit more calm. Oh yeah. And a lot more productive. Mm -hmm. And then after she says what she can adjust, then I, I chime in and tell her what I see or what I think um, mm -hmm. after that. But she knows she always has to start the conversation. And we do the same thing before she goes in. She'll come up to me and find me and, and tell me kind of our warm up went, what she sees, what she feels and what she's going to adjust when she gets out on the, on the mound. Um, so we use that format a lot. And I think that that's taken a lot of the emotion and a lot of the, I don't know, coach, I don't know what I'm doing. What do you see mm -hmm. um, out of the conversation? Yeah, it takes that panic away. Yep, yep. Uh, we we try. <laughs> it's well, so yeah. Sometimes, but <laughs> oh, poor girls. I'm glad I wasn't <laughs> a pitcher <try>. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's been really helpful. That's so cool, and I like we're talking about your workout drills and these drills that you work into the games. They both start with practicing it. I think that's really important. I think a lot of times we as coaches are more reactive with the mental game so far. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But like when you're proactive, it just gives them so much more ammo to like, oh yeah, okay, this is yeah. what I need to do. This is how I reel myself in and I can get over it faster. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the things I was thinking about with like 
uh, one of the challenges for getting them to really buy into it is that if you make it part of your culture and you make it part of your team and you talk about it every day, they're more likely to buy into these concepts mm-hmm. versus just saying, you know, work on your mental game or yeah. something along those lines. I think that if it's central to your program and you get one one person to buy in, well, she'll talk about it and then maybe you'll get two of them to buy in. And um, so I think the more that you talk about it and show that you're going to actually spend time during your own practices to focus on it. then I think they're more likely to focus on it on their own as well. Absolutely. That's really the hardest part, you know, I think for coaches and things that we had to learn as we went along is how do you practice that, right? How do you implement that every single day in practice and how do you have those conversations and how do you practice the game like situations Um, Mm -hmm. from a mental standpoint, right? How do you put them in those situations so you can practice those things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that I constantly think about. And I know we were just talking about going to convention and I feel like at convention, I'm constantly asking other pitching coaches how they do that. You know, how do you replicate that in the bullpen? Um, And we even got to the point with one of our pitchers um, two years ago that she, it almost seemed like Physically on the mound, she was just more nervous, like on the field. So we did, I would say 90% of her pitching practices were actually on the softball field. Um, they weren't in a bullpen. And she just became so much more relaxed. Um, so it's just funny. Little things like that can make a big difference um, for a pitcher. And we, we noticed a big difference in her that just doing her bullpen session or her pitching practice, as we call them, um, on the actual softball field, on the mound. Uh, yes, it was a lot more work of having to make sure the field was camped mm-hmm. and nice and everything. And we had to schedule some batting practices around it. But um, she just felt more confident when she was actually on the mound during games because she literally practiced there every time. Really I totally goes- get that even as a hitter. <laughs> yeah. And that's where my kids want to practice and that's where they want to be when, when they can. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't even have bullpens in our high school field. So they're always just warming up on the side, you know, where the coaches boxes are and things like that. But they always want to be on the mound. Um, The hitters always want to be in the box. Mm -hmm. And I think that also goes along with that, you know, the visualization, right? So when you're practicing those things, you can visualize yourself in those specific um, spots on the field. And it's a lot easier, I think, to work through those types of exercises as well. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And now that I look down, actually, one of the things I had down for that visualization and imagery was creating a script. So, and some of that happens like on the field, but that's one of the things we've done in practice too before where, where we take time and they all are like kind of going through the motions of a different play, but writing it out um, on a piece of paper and creating their own imagery script uh, that they can go through at a different time. And our pitchers are, are big on that. I think that we have, we have a couple that currently now do it also um, that right before they throw the pitch, they see it happen. Um, and it's taken a little bit to get them to that point, but they'll, they'll say, I'm so much more confident when I get the sign for a changeup and I can see it happen on the mound in real time. And then I pitch. So getting to the point where you can actually use it in a game um, can be difficult. But I think that once they start really buying into having a script and practicing outside the game, then it becomes much easier when the pressure's on to use it during a game when it matters. Oh yeah. Imagery is one of my favorites that I did not figure out till my senior year. <laughs> <So> <laughs> a lot of 
regret there. But uh, <laughs> it does, I agree, it does take practice. But the more you practice it, the easier it comes. And I got to the point where it was like stepping right before the pitch. You can see it. You mm-hmm. trust it. And it just takes so much of the analyzing and thinking out of it. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I remember one time I had, and this was years ago now um, from a different school, but I had a player who came up to me and she was like in tears in the office. And she was like, I'm really struggling. I'm, I know I'm going to strike out before I even step the box. And I remember her just saying, um, like we, I did visualization with her and she finally got to the point where she understood kind of what that meant and how to do it. And she would, the first, maybe the first 10 times that she actually went through a visualization script. I, she would like open her eyes and I'd ask her, all right, what happened? Like what happened with the at-bat? Cause it would end with, all right, you swung. Um, and almost inevitably she said, I swung and missed every time, even during practicing the visualization, she had such low, such a low level of confidence that she would strike out in her visualization. Oh. So it would take, it took so long to get her to the point where she was like, I hit a ground ball. <laughs> like, and we were <laughs> so excited. Um, so it takes a lot of practice sometimes, especially depending on where they're starting out. Mm-hmm. That's actually a sad story. I, I know. But Poor I think that's, that's probably not uncommon, to be honest. And I think that that's one of the things that we're so passionate about, that this is so helpful. And getting that buy-in um, usually doesn't take very long once they you know, have that every single day repetition, mm-hmm. uh, right? It's like building a muscle, right? If you want to get stronger, you lift, right? So you, you got to do the same thing with, with the mental tactics that, you know, we're trying to teach. And if, as soon as the sooner they buy in and they see it work, uh, it, it is much easier, but a lot of kids unfortunately start in those positions and it's really sad. Yeah. And sometimes it's just too, like either they're nervous to try something new or they just don't think it's going to work or, so like you said, once you get them to really try it mm-hmm. um, and maybe the first four different times they try something or different things don't work for them, but the fifth one does. Um, I mean, I've heard kids come back and say something where they're like, oh, that definitely helped. And I'm like, mm, okay, as long as you believe it did, like, <laughs> that's a good starting point. Um, so it's just funny to hear the different things that click for them. because one person might love imagery, one person might hate it. One person might really like the breathing drills that we have and somebody else might say, no, like I get out of breath from those drills. Or, <laughs> um, but I think that giving them a bunch of different ideas, um, hopefully you find something that clicks for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the understanding that they have to have the patience, you know, to work at it yeah. too. And, you know, we try to relate that to the a physical skill. Like if we asked you to turn around and start hitting left-handed, if you're a righty, you're not going to get it in 10 swings. Yeah. And if, you, if that's your goal, right, is to yeah. maybe we're going to turn you around to be a slapper, you know, this is going to take a lot of time and repetition. So it's the same thing. And, you know, usually when, when you can relate something to a physical skill, they can at least make that correlation. Yeah. Um, but they, they don't have a lot of patience sometimes. So I think, you know, some kids of mine have really taken, you know, almost one or two years to really start to, to see the true benefit. It's slow. And I think sometimes those slow progress, you know, sometimes is a deterrent, but if really by junior year, boy, they have been through two years of this and junior year, they are, they are miles ahead in confidence than they were as a freshman. And I think that they just may not be able to see sometimes those slow building blocks that they actually gain during the course of their career. Yeah. In the short I, think, term. 
Yeah, for sure. I try to get like so excited for them when I see them use something or we do one that's PMR. So it's progressive muscle relaxation. And I have one pitcher who does it in the game. So she'll catch the ball um, back in the circle. She does her kind of like routine. And then I can see her get really purposefully. They get really tense. So like shoulders go up to the ears. She tightens all the muscles in her body. And then she can like let out a deep breath and shake it all out. Um, and so when I see her do that in the game, like I get everybody on board, like all the catchers that are in the dugout, I know it and we're all like screaming, like super excited. So I feel like when the coach or when the teammates are really excited about those little things, you can see them want to do it more often. Oh, that's, that's so true. Even from a physical, like to get them to dive, you know, like the first time they dive in practice, the whole team goes nuts. Coaches are jumping up and down and then you remind them, see, you can do it. You know, yeah. obviously, the, and then, you know, you, that's tied obviously to, to mental performance. That's tied to mm-hmm. a confidence thing. And, and that's when you can pull those things out. But sometimes those, those physical accomplishments happen first, and then you kind of go back and say, Hey, you know, now you're co- confident that you can do this. It makes such a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that they, they definitely get excited about that and you see them smiling and then they have fun yeah. and then they're more likely to enjoy what they're doing just in and of itself. Which is really what, as coaches, we, we really want our players to to be at that spot anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. So, Emily, what kind of challenges have you kind of faced with your girls completing these packets since they're not, you know, with you every day? Yeah. And, I, you know, do they all do it? <laughs> Probably not. Um, but the moments where I have kids come back or text me and say, hey, I tried this drill and I loved it or... Um, this really works or me and so-and-so are working on this. Um, that's kind of the exciting time um, when you see them. But there, there definitely were challenges in the beginning, you know, especially even them understanding. They're like, what do you mean physically work on our mental game? <laughs> what does that even mean? It's possible. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that once we got over that kind of hurdle in the beginning um, and people started talking about it more, like you started hearing them talk about it to each other. That's really good. Or even when they get back, I quiz them. Who knows what this drill is? And like half the team is silent, but the other half knows it. Mm-hmm. You know, and <laughs> quickly. Busted. You, yeah, quickly you can kind of tell who's looking at it and who's not. And you don't want to put kids on the spot too much. Sometimes it's kind of a good thing um, because then it holds them accountable to, did you actually read it? Do you remember what it is? Or are you using it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, those things are kind of the big ones. And then we'll, we'll do some of them in practice. So it takes two seconds to do some of these drills. Um, so really quickly, you can run through PMR with them really fast during practice, or you can do a breathing drill. We do up downs is what I call them. And it sounds like the scariest drill. Um, sounds like a burpee, um, but it's just breathing. So they breathe in for one second, out for one second, in for two seconds, out for two seconds, in for three and so forth, up to five and then down. Um, and the pitcher and catcher know that when they have up downs, they sprint together in the middle and they both stop and they do their up downs and they sprint back and then they start pitching again. Um, I love that. So I think there's easy ways to incorporate it into practice. Um, and then they they kind of get that moment to take a deep breath. And it's like, all right, got to hit your next pitch. And then you put the pressure back up. Um, so I guess it just depends on how much time you want to really dedicate to it. Well, yeah. you talked about stealing 
things, you know, in the beginning. So I'm going to steal that one from you. I really like that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one's, great. that one's great. And it's silly. And every time that I explain it to like a new group, because we do it at our camps too sometimes, and you should see the faces I get. Um, <laughs> but uh, once you get them to actually do it more often, you'll see them start incorporating it in games. Like I'll see the pitcher, like take a deep breath in the game and then do her PMR and then on the mound. And it takes all of maybe three seconds. Um, but it's kind of cool to start seeing them incorporate it into games. And so I like that aspect of it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. All right. So one final question for you. Sure. If you have any tips for coaches who might be thinking, ooh, I want to make this for my team right now. <laughs> so starting <laughs> on break. What would you tell them to do for making their own packet? I think the biggest thing is really interview your own team. So ask them all kinds of questions. What have you done in the past? That's a big one. Ask them, uh, you know, what they struggle with the most. Ask them um, what they think could help or what has helped them. Um, and then just like Google the heck out of it. <laughs> uh, so you can find so many different things online. Uh, you can find different books that you can read. You can interview other coaches. That, that's my biggest thing is find out what your team really needs and wants. Find out what you think is really important to you, um, other coaches on your staff, um, and then start kind of formulating a list of your main topics that you think can be really helpful for them or that they think can be really helpful for them. I had some of them help actually put it together so that they were more invested in it. I even had some of them proofread it you know, after it's done, well, I know that kid read it. <laughs> um, I think that the more you can get them involved in the process of making it, the more excited they're going to be about doing it, about using it. Um, so that would be my like number one thing is just get your team involved as much as possible into the process of making it. Oh, that is excellent. I love that. We do the same thing when we talk about culture too. Like it, of course, needs to come from the coach's point of view, we need to add in our input, but really you're going to get the buy-in when it comes from them. Yeah, absolutely. And ask them like the biggest things that, that they struggle with. And the, the three biggest things that I constantly hear from athletes are like staying in the moment. Like how do I stay in the moment? Um, and then I hear confidence. Like I, I'm just really not confident or I struggle with my confidence and then how do I clear my mind? I feel like my mind is all over the place. Those are those are the big three things that I hear. And so I tried to make formulate it in a way that those three things would be addressed throughout it. Because those were the big three theme that I heard on my team or on other teams and um, just tried to figure out a way to help them with those three. But maybe you don't start with a whole packet. Maybe you just start with one sheet of five drills and start really simple. I think that if I started with this packet and didn't talk about it beforehand, my team would have been like, what is this? Mm. Um, so you can start really simple with maybe just five different drills that they can start working on. And maybe you intro it at practice first and say, Hey, I, ha I have this great idea. We're going to test this out. And these are the five drills that I think are really helpful or that some of your teammates have come and showed me and they're going to run it you know, and then have one of the teammates explain one of the drills and then have another teammate explain a drill um, just to kind of start introing the idea. Yeah, I love that. That is it for this week. Be sure to grab your freebie, the What We Need Sheet. 
To grab your document, head to mentalsweetspot.com forward slash episode 31. Thank you so much for joining us again. See you next week for another episode when we introduce you to one of the members of our newly found dream team. Talk to you soon. Have a good one.